you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we are starting a new section in our study, the book of Colossians, of Christ above all from this letter. Uh, But we are starting a new section that naturally arises from the verse that we concluded with last week, Colossians 3.17. In that verse, Paul was teaching us how we ought to live as those who have come to know and believe in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And he tells us that if we want to live a life that exalts Jesus Christ as above all, then that means that whatever we do in word or deed, we must do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, we exalt Jesus when we live in agreement with who He is and what He desires on a daily basis. And whatever we do, in word or deed, we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul doesn't leave us alone in figuring out how to apply that to our lives. He does not leave that to us on our own. From chapter 3, verse 18, into chapter 4, verse 1, Paul gives us six concrete examples in how we as followers of Jesus Christ can exalt Him in everything we say and do on a daily basis. And he organizes those six examples into three main categories that we'll be looking at as a church. First, Paul will show you and I how to exalt Christ in your marriage as a wife and then as a husband. That's in verses 18 through 19. Second, we'll see how to exalt Christ in your family as a child and then as a parent. That's in verses 20 through 21. And then finally, we'll learn how to exalt Christ in your vocation, first as an employee and then as an employer. That's in chapter 3, verse 22, on into chapter 4, verse 1. And so if we want to exalt Jesus Christ above all in everything that we say and do, then that means that you and I need to learn how to exalt Jesus Christ in our marriages, our families, and our vocations. We are to live every day of our life for the glory of Jesus Christ in these ways and in these areas. And so with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18, on into chapter 4, verse 1. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 22. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no Partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the Word of God who accepts 
our free will offerings of praise and teaches us his rules. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to open up your word. Father, we have been studying much in this letter about who Jesus is, how he is that great and preeminent one, how he is the invisible God made visible, how he is the head of all things, including the church, including those who have trusted in him. We recognize this morning that in every area of our lives, Christ is to reign supreme and preeminent. So Father, help us to not just say that with our words. Help us to give careful thought over the next few weeks on how to show that in our lives as the rest of this world places themselves upon the throne of their own heart. Help us to live lives that show others around us that Christ reigns in our hearts. Help us to start showing that to our own spouses Help us to start showing that to our own families. Help us to show that to those that we meet every day as we clock in and clock out of work. Because we recognize, Father, that this is where evangelism begins. This is how exalting Jesus Christ begins. Begins in our own marriages, our own homes, our own relationships that You give us here on this earth. And so help us to be faithful in that. Father, we pray. Change us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we want to apply Colossians 3.17 and exalt Jesus Christ above all in everything that we say and do, then that means that you and I must learn what it means to exalt Christ above all in our marriages. That's in verses 18 through 19. And before we even dive into these verses... I should summarize that Paul begins here by talking how to exalt Christ as a man and woman living together within a home environment. And I think it is highly important to point out and not to overlook, has has been overlooked for far too many years, that Scripture addresses that man and woman as married, as wife and as husband. In other words, are you as a man wanting to live with a woman in a way that honors and exalts Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then you be her husband. And woman, do you want to dwell with a man in a way that honors and exalts Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master? Then you must be His wife. That is the only context in Paul's imagination here, by which a man and a woman can live together privately in a household environment in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus. It is by being married. It is an assumption that Paul makes, but an assumption we cannot make in our current situation as churches today and as believers. This must be emphasized because it has become increasingly popular in our culture today for men and women to live together outside of the bonds of marriage. 
According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 50 years ago in the 1970s, 40% of all adults ages 18 through 24 were married. And living with a partner outside of marriage was statistically non-existent. Today, only 7% of all adults ages 18 through 24, a 33% decrease, are getting married. And almost 10% are living with a partner outside of marriage, a 10% increase. We've gone from 40 to 7 and 0 to 10. In other words, for the next generation, more adults in America are living together than are getting married. For the next generation in America, cohabitation has replaced conventional marriage. Unless you think that this is a trend that will be reversed, the rate of increase is the exact same among adults aged 25 through 34. It is not going to change. And this has happened in just the last 50 years in our nation. And we need to be aware that this nationwide trend, by the way, is being copied in the churches. Every single marriage I was asked to perform in the state of Pennsylvania during my pastorate there, I was asked to perform by couples who were already living together, though nearly all of them professed faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And trust me, I heard every excuse under the sun. My fiance has no other place to live. It's for health reasons. It's more cost economical. All these reasons given to argue that although they, a man and woman, are living together outside the bonds of marriage, they somehow are still honoring and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ with their lives. And the one statement I always heard was this. Don't worry, Pastor. We're not doing anything. Well, listen. The very fact that you need to tell me that shows that you are already doing what Scripture forbids. Because God says in Ephesians 5, verse 3, but sexual immorality must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There is not even to be a hint in how you're you're living that there is the presence of sexual immorality. In other words, your testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to exalt Him and honor Him for what He has done for you on the cross, that means that your testimony ought to be so pure and blameless in the eyes of those around you that they never even suspect or question anything. That is how you ought to be living as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So if you're a young person, I beg you today, this morning, to consider what your actions are showing by those who are watching you. The very fact that you feel you need to tell me that there's nothing going on shows me that you're already doing something that Scripture clearly forbids. Because according to God's Word, the only way that a man or woman can live together in a way that honors Christ above all is within the covenant context of marriage. That has not been said enough, sadly, in churches. It needs to be changed. And trust me, I never met someone who professed the name of Christ who didn't deep down already know that. Cohabitating with someone of the opposite gender is not acceptable for a follower of Jesus Christ. So... If you do want to honor and exalt Jesus Christ above all as a man and a woman living together in a home environment, you do that first 
by being married, by being husband and wife, and then as husband and wife, by exalting Christ in your respective marriage roles. And that's what we see here in Colossians chapter 3. So we're going to be looking at these respective roles one at a time as a church. And the first role that's mentioned here in verse 18, and the only role that we'll be able to cover today, is how to exalt Christ in your marriage as a wife. As a wife. That's in verse 18, where Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Now keep in mind, it's very important for us to remember here, who is Paul addressing? Well, you say, well, wives, obviously, right? Yes, but think about it. What type of wives is he addressing? It's a very important lesson here. The answer is believing wives. Believing wives. Paul has already made it abundantly clear that those that he is addressing in this letter are those who... Who, are, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul says back in chapter 1, verse 4, that this letter is written to those who have faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, it's written to those who have heard and understand the grace of God and all of its truth. He says in chapter 1, verse 21, it is written to those who were once alienated from God, but are now reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul reminds us that he is writing to those who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. So we need to remember that the verses we're about to look at both today and over the next few weeks are instructions for the Christian, not for the non-Christian. These instructions are to be applied to those who have been made complete in Christ and are indwelt with His resurrection power, not for those who have no knowledge of Him. Because those who have no knowledge of Christ have no ability to carry out His commands. This is critical for us to remember, especially when we seek to understand those statistics that I just read to you and how to apply them as Christians. People are living the way that they are living in America today because they do not know Christ. They have not yet beheld Him in all His glory. Therefore, they have no desire to live a life that honors and exalts Him above all else. Therefore, our task ever and always as believers is to honor and exalt and proclaim Christ alone above all. See, this needs to be This needs to be understood. We ultimately do not have a marriage crisis here in America. We have an evangelism crisis here in America. The church has forgotten its primary mission, and our nation is reaping the whirlwind. We've gotten off task as churches. And in the same 50 years that the church at large has been fighting through politics and legislation to protect marriage, it has lost it in the same 50 years. Why? Because rather than focusing preeminently on showing the glory of Jesus Christ through our preaching and our living, we have gotten distracted by lesser things. Not unimportant things, but lesser things. And attempted to impose the appearance of a Christian lifestyle on those who don't even have the Christian life. Now don't get me wrong. 
American Christians should take advantage of their freedom to be involved in their government, but at the same time realize you cannot defend the civil institution of marriage against an unredeemed populace. They will, like the waves of the sea, cast themselves against the decrees of the Almighty. They will ignore every moral argument you ever present to them. They will overturn every law that you try to pass. They must be born again. They must be born again. And so this is where our efforts lie, ever and always as a church, is to know Christ, and it is to make Him known. Not to preach marriage and moral living to the unsaved, but to preach Christ to them that they might be born again. And one of the ways that we're called to do that as we're seeing here in Colossians is to exalt Christ above all, not only with our words, but also with our everyday personal lives beginning, as Paul shows us here, with our very own marriages. And so Paul begins here by speaking to the believing wife. Do you wish to exalt Christ? And show all those around you that Christ indeed is above all. Well, then wives, submit to your husbands. So this is how you can show, as a believing wife, that Christ is above all. This is how you can show that He is worthy of all in your everyday life. By submitting to your own husband. Now, since we live in an anti-authority culture, everybody already is probably sitting there thinking, Ooh, this doesn't sound very good, right? Submit is like a dirty word to us because we think that the only people who ever submit to authority are those who are inferior to us, right? Or that are inferior. So in our thinking, all men are created equal. Therefore, pick up your musket, Sam, right? Which, of course, is not true because even in America where we recognize that all men are created equal by God, we still have a system of governance and an order of authority that must be submitted to for the flourishing of human society. That's what's being talked about here. That word submit is hupotasso in the Greek. It means to place yourself under authority in an orderly fashion. In fact, hupotasso was actually a military term in the ancient Greek culture. That means to draw yourself up in order for battle beneath the authority of your commander. So picture it. The commander says, we have a mission soldier. Line up, right? And as a soldier, you find your place among the army. You find your position, men, right? You find your company. You find your specific field officer. And you put yourself in a place of submission in order to carry out the mission properly alongside the rest of your fellow soldiers. You submit yourself to your specific field officer in order to carry out the greater mission of your commander that you've been given. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. We have a commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a mission to exalt Him in everything we say and do. So how do we carry it out? Wives, by hupotas in your husbands, right? By finding your position as fellow soldiers beneath the banner of Jesus Christ, by taking on the task and roles our commanding officer has given us in order to carry out our greater mission successfully. I'm not going to run out and try to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ the way I want to. I'll get gunned down on the field. But if I want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, I will, I will faithfully serve in the roles that He has given me. For his honor and glory. And so for believing wives, your role in carrying out that great mission is to submit to your husband. 
And this has, by the way, contrary to what the world teaches you, has no reflection on your intrinsic worth at all. A policeman has no greater intrinsic worth to you, but a policeman must be submitted to, even in America, where all men are created equal, right? Why? Because God has ordained that position of authority for the flourishing of human society. And He has called on both of you, though equal in worth, to occupy different roles in a functional structure for the good and order of society. That's why wives are told by God to submit to their husbands in Scripture, just like citizens are told to submit to their government, like soldiers are to their generals, young people to their elders, employees to their employers, and church members to their church leaders and elders. Not because there's any difference there in terms of worth. They're all equals. But because there's a necessary difference among equals in function that has to exist, not just for the flourishing of human society, but when performed by believers in carrying out our mission for the honor and glory of Christ. The reason why there's a difference in function is because there is equality. And so this is what we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Think about that. That means that the relationship between the wife and her husband is to mirror the relationship between Christ and God. So ask yourself this morning, is God the Father superior to Christ in intrinsic worth or value? No. (laughs) No. Right? God the Father is not superior to Christ in intrinsic worth or value. They are equal. They are of one essence in the Trinity. So the distinction Paul is making there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 between Christ and God is not in terms of essence or value, but in terms of function. In other words, Paul is teaching here that in order to fulfill the Godhead's redemptive plan in this world, it was necessary for Christ to submit to the Father. So that you have two persons of equal value and worth operating in distinct roles of headship and submission in order to carry out the divine mission that must be accomplished. This is exactly what is being called on here in Colossians 3.18 for husbands and wives. You have two persons who are entirely equal operating in distinct roles in order to carry out a mission to honor and exalt Christ on a daily basis. Thus, believing wives in their role are to submit to their husbands. Okay, but what does that look like practically? Right? If I had to summarize it, I would summarize it like this. What does submission mean for a believing wife? It means this. When there is an irreconcilable difference, the believing wife is to voluntarily submit and defer to the delegated authority and decision of her own husband. And I have carefully worded that, and so let's break it down, okay? First, when there is an irreconcilable difference. We need to understand that this command of submission must be understood in terms of its broader context. Scripture teaches that marriage is ultimately a relationship of teamwork and partnership. 
And so, in a Christ-exalting marriage, the husband and the wife will be working together as equal team members towards a common goal. The husband will be asking his wife's opinion, right, since he loves her and recognizes that she is his helper sent from God. And the wife will be asking her husband's opinion since she loves him and respects his leadership. And together, as one team, they'll be working in close agreement and in mutual submission together for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's how it would work if it was a perfect world, right? But, at the same time, there are going to be moments when agreements cannot be reached. And for one reason or another, a decision has to be made. When that happens, there's going to be times of irreconcilable differences. And when that happens, the believing wife is to voluntarily submit and defer. In other words, the responsibility for the decision and its consequences in that moment falls ultimately on the husband. And the wife chooses to submit to his decision and its consequences. And she does this, notice, voluntarily. I will remind you, husbands, that Colossians 3.18 is not addressed to you. It's addressed to who? Wives, right? In other words, it is the responsibility of the wife to take the initiative in applying this to her life. It is not your, it is not your position, right? When you take the initiative of applying this to her life, you have stepped out of line, and God has words for you in the very next verse if you want to look ahead as a preview for next week, right? Because submission means... That when there is an irreconcilable difference, the believing wife is to voluntarily submit and defer notice to the delegated authority and decision of her own husband. First, the husband does not have inherent authority, just delegated authority. Authority that he loses should he ever ask his wife to step outside of God's commands. We'll see that in one second. And second, submission means submitting only to notice your own husband. I have been around some peculiar people in my life that have thought that women should submit to every man just because they're women. Or submit to every husband just because they're husbands and they're a woman. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture at all. That is weird and bizarre. Scripture says that you as a believing wife are only called on to submit to your own husband. As Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So this is what submission looks like. When there is an irreconcilable difference, the believing wife is to voluntarily submit and defer to the delegated authority and decision of her own husband. Let me put it this way. There is to be no lasting civil wars in a Christian home. The wife is to have a spirit of submission to her husband. And by God's grace, most of the time, that will look like two individuals working together as a team in close agreement and mutual submission for the glory of Jesus Christ. The wife is to show the submission first that Christ showed to His Father in the greatest act of submission that has ever occurred. And second, she is to reflect the submission that exists between the body of Christ and their Lord. She's that picture of the Gospel in that way. And why? Well, look at the end of the verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that phrase can be taken two ways, and I think for a reason. 
First, it's saying, wives, submit to your husbands as long as it is fitting in the Lord. I think that's one way that you could take it. If it's not fitting, if it's not morally right, do not do it. This is not making your husband God. God is God over your husband. And over you. If it's not morally right, don't do it. Acts 5.29 says this, we must obey God rather than man. That applies to every level of authority. It is only as long as it is fitting in the Lord that you are to submit to your own husband. The phrase is also saying, wives, submit to your own husbands because it is fitting in the Lord. And I think this is the primary, the primary meaning. In other words, it is good, it is proper, it is right for wives who are in the Lord, who are in Christ, to be marked by this type of biblical submission to their husbands. Why? Because they believe that Christ is above all, even over their own husbands. Right? 1 Peter 3.22 says this, Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with all authority, having been subjected to Him. And then listen to this, Colossians 2.10. We looked at it earlier. Very important principle underlying these commands. Colossians 2.10 says, You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's in control. Christ is in control of every authority that you have ever experienced in your life. And therefore, you can submit to your husbands as to the Lord because it is fitting in the Lord. It is good. It is proper. It is right. It is right. Now, those who don't believe that there is a sovereign and good Savior over every authority in their life, they're going to be the ones that are rebelling. But it is those who recognize that Christ reigns supreme. Yeah, even in your husband's decisions. That gives you the courage and ability to show submission as a believing wife. It is good, it is proper, it is right. In fact, if you want a picture of what biblical submission in marriage looks like, I would encourage all of you this afternoon to take time and read Proverbs 31. That is a picture of biblical submission. If you've ever had another type of picture in your head about what biblical submission looks like, correct it with Proverbs 31. Because it is glorious when you study that section of Scripture. You see the wife making all of, believe it or not, making all of these decisions on her own, right? Even though she's her husband's helper, she does not run every little thing by him, as I've heard some men teach submission to be. That is not true. Why does the wife not have to run everything past her husband? Because verse 11 says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He knows her to be a woman filled with the Spirit who can make wise and good decisions. Therefore, he trusts her in making decisions completely on her own many, many times throughout the day. And in fact, she was probably so well known for making wise and good decisions since she could open her mouth and speak in wisdom that oftentimes I'm sure he asked her opinion on things. <gasps> Shocking. We need to make sure we have a biblical definition of marriage roles. Not traditional ones. Biblical ones. Biblical ones. You read that she owns at least one business. She's buying and selling food clothing, and even real estate. I'll forgive her. She's a public orator and a teacher. She's actively engaged both inside and outside the home. She has a rich, and she has a free life. 
a life that does not conflict with her husband's life, but rather complements it gloriously. This is what a biblical marriage and what biblical submission looks like. It looks like being a member of a team, a team composed of two equals, both in talent and in ability, a team that strives to make decisions and accomplish their joint missions together as a team. And in those rare occasions where they can't come to an agreement, she submits to her husband's authority, derived authority, as is fitting in the Lord. Why? Does she submit to her husband because her husband deserves her submission and respect? No. Is it because submission and respect are her husband's love language? No. Is it because he has a respect tank that needs to be filled for the day? No. She submits to her own husband as is fitting in the Lord because it is commanded of her by her Lord Jesus Christ. And she desires to exalt Christ above all in everything she says and does. That's the reason. That's the reason. It has nothing to do with her husband. It has absolutely everything to do with her Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. As a daughter of the king, when irreconcilable differences arise, she as a wife submits to her own husband because, as the previous verse states, she desires that whatever she does in word or deed, she does everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this is how you exalt Christ above all in your marriage as a wife. And as we're going to see next week, that complements itself beautifully when you have a man who recognizes what he is supposed to do in honoring and exalting Christ in his own marriage roles as well. To love his wife sacrificially like Christ loves us. So this is good. This is right. And this is pleasing in the sight of God. It is fitting in the Lord. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Next week we'll look at how to exalt Christ above all in your marriage as as a husband. But for now, this is the word of God from Colossians 3.18, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until our Lord's return. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word speaks to us as a people. And not only do we have this idea nebulously in our mind that Jesus Christ is Lord, and not only do you break it down for us so that we can understand what our daily priorities ought to be as we approach all the issues of life, but you even give us guidance and truth and light for our paths as we consider how should I operate today as a wife who believes in Jesus Christ above all? How should I operate today as a husband that believes that Jesus Christ is above all? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray that you would work in our body beginning in this message this morning. That we would change the way we look at our everyday relationships so that when people begin to look at us, they see something markedly different. And they come to know the Savior that we worship and adore above all else. Father, if we be Christians, let us be marked and distinct ones in this world for the glory of Christ. Give us grace towards that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.